Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, joke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see all that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. I even talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode like without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe like 27, I think Bruiser Brody, I think that was like the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it. And all right, well, uh, enjoy this episode. doing it no we're not <laughs> not yet <laughs> we're waiting on you actually <laughs> all right welcome to the 10 bell pod i am nick alexander i am here with stand-up comic professional wrestler dean malenko-esque man of a thousand <laughs> podcasts jake manning yeah. hello 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 and uh michael loving you no, don't get a cool nothing intro. nothing nothing <laughs> well when you started mine i thought you were talking about mike uh, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, my podcast. You, you'll get a cool intro once you're, you've been in the ring like Jake and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Frankenstein. 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 Or, or just do anything, Mike. <laughs> as soon as you do something with your life. See, but what's the fun in that? All right. Today, we are talking about the six foot four, 390 pound Scott Charles Bigelow, who was born September 1st, 1961. His debut in wrestling was 8-23-85, and he died January 19, 2007. Bounty Hunter, the Beast from the East, Bam Bam Bigelow. Bodyguard for Bruce Springsteen. No, really? Yeah, I didn't know that. It's on his IMDb page. Yeah. Yeah, I missed that. (laughs) Yeah, I missed that. I saw Bounty Hunter, Bouncer. He used to hang out with Bruce all the time, apparently. And Diamond Dallas Page. And... Yeah, they were friends even before they were both anything. And any dude in Jersey. Like, anybody (laughs) associated with Jersey. And if you were a biker, there was a four times likelihood that you knew Bam Bam Piccolo. Governor Chris Christie? Yeah, anybody. (laughs) anybody. Known biker. The more I listened to him talk, the more I was like, he is so fucking Jersey. Like, I I don't know. I I never picked up on it, I guess. Was in jail multiple times? It's so Jersey of him. Yeah. Multiple, multiple times before we even got into pro wrestling. <laughs> All right, uh, I guess let's just get into Bam Bam. Like we said, he was a bouncer. He was a he was a, a, a bounty hunter, amateur wrestler. Which, 
I always hear Bell Bondsman, but Bounty Hunter, like fucking Bounty Boba Fett. You know, like it's a, it's a, it's it's crazy. The story he has about um, how he had to go down to Mexico to rescue some girl that was kidnapped. I mean, legit needs to be a movie. That, that's when he got shot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah, got yeah, shot yeah, in the back. Shot. Apparently, I was like, if Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't do this biopic about Bam Bam doing a kidnapping in Mexico, then what's the point? Yeah. That, that needs to happen. I was listening to one of the shoots. They were like, you know, he was talking about how kind of rough his life was. And he was like, uh, so would, would you say pro wrestling saved your life? And he was like, no. <laughs> he was like, nah, man. What What are you talking about? Well, the, the, in the RF video shoot, they open with like, so how did you get into the wrestling business? Well, I was a drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I wouldn't do anything else. And, and, that, and that, and then he was a wrestler. Yeah, he's like the Joker. He changes his origin story depending yeah, on yeah, who's yeah. asking. Like, it's always like, like, I was in jail and I figured I might as well get into pro wrestling. Oh, I almost died. Oh, and by the way, uh, yeah, I was a bounty hunter. Oh, I, <laughs> no, I was like bodyguard for Bruce Springsteen. You know, when do you have it? It's like, and then he was the, oh, I was an amateur wrestler. Fuck professional yeah, wrestling. Yeah, I didn't yeah, like yeah. any of that stuff. My favorite thing was he went to state three times, got disqualified twice. Like, that's that's quality. Bam Bam was an amateur wrestler. Didn't care for wrestling uh, growing up, apparently. Wasn't uh, super into it. And uh, depending on what story you believe, he got into it somehow. He wandered into a fucking can of ooze. And yeah. he was trained at the Monster Factory. By uh, Larry Sharp, who trained people like Big Show, D'Lo Brown, and Gilberg. And the Godfather. Oh, yeah, Godfather. Godfather. Uh, lots of people. He has a pretty good uh, pretty good list. The Headbangers. Yeah. Ooh, Cliff nice. Compton. Put, 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 put some... No, he did. Put some respect on Cliff Compton's I know name, okay? See, this is where I'm a noob, but I don't know who Cliff Compton is. Okay. All right. <laughs> Deuce uh, Domino. Oh, okay, okay, okay. There you go. And then Larry also managed him until he started trying to take a lot of Bam Bam's money, which, like, the only real heat Bam Bam has with anybody is when it comes to money. Like, just don't take the guy's money, and he loves you. Like, and so many times he said, business is business, yeah, 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 yeah. and friends are friends, and business is business, and blah, you know. Which I think was him politely saying, I like that guy, but... Yeah, I mean, like, of all the people, I mean, he could just hate them personally as well because they screwed him over business-wise. But, I mean, he at least would go out of his way to at least say something nice about someone. Yeah, Instead yeah. of just shitting on them totally. Yeah. Which I thought says a lot about who he is. Yeah, that makes him definitely from New Jersey. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah? No disrespect, but this guy was a fucking prick. No disrespect. Again, I got a Jersey. more Jersey experience. <laughs> he got trained at the Monster Factory. Then in 1985, had his first actual wrestling match at Studio 54. Which apparently was a gauntlet match, is the best I can pick up like. on. Yes, let me let me shine a little, shine a little yeah, bit of light yeah. on this um, because I've actually seen pictures of this actual event, or at least I think so. At least the way that Bam Bam was describing this, because I always know in our photo library at HighSpots.com, there was a time there at, at HighSpots.com we were looking to buy up old uh, photographers' collections, oh, and we man. bought up uh, Howard Lapis's. A photo collection and he shot ringside for a lot of madison square garden Ooh, events nice. a lot of allentown pennsylvania events mm. so a lot of like mm. old school wwf guys early 80s most specifically and i remember flipping through all those pictures and there's a really good picture of rick flair being handed a plaque 
by Paul Heyman. <laughs> and right in front of a ring. And I couldn't place what was going on there, but it looked like it was some sort of nightclub and a yeah. ring was there. Yeah. And then there's like a good picture of Dusty Rhodes. With <laughs> like, what the fuck is what, this? Dusty Rhodes in blue jeans and sunglasses on <laughs> in a nightclub, standing next to a female guardian angel. Like with Magnum like, is this TA. just Ric Flair's mansion and there's <laughs> it, it was, it's the weirdest picture ever but then in that same like role is this random young picture of Bam Bam Bigelow without like a goatee did he have the like, tattoos he had oh, the tattoos yeah, he got those in like the, the freshman in high school third or grade yeah. <laughs> yeah he was born with that really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, he had the black just a regular black singlet and there's just one picture of Bam Bam so I actually have pictures of Bam Bam's debut nice. uh, at the High Spots office. And, but it's nice because I always thought those, these were just random images <laughs> sitting on a hard drive somewhere and finally I got the story behind Ooh. this. We should, uh, uh, assuming anyone listens to this, we should post that because I think, if, is that possible? Yeah, so we definitely Because I feel like people would want to see that. I want to see that. I posted I do too because I looked for stuff all over everywhere when I was doing research and I couldn't find shit. Listen, I post Howard Lapis pictures all the time and try to get more likes. <laughs> no <laughs> shame, no shame. No shame whatsoever. Oh, I think uh, we need uh, Monster Factory stuff. They even, he got the Sports Illustrated article that was Yeah, really what was it? He said that, he, he, so he did that before Hogan had the cover, which I know is a bigger deal. Yeah, but it was he was the, the first Monster wrestler Factory. ever yeah. to be in Sports I don't know about ever. That's what he said. Yeah, I, well, I think that's why I don't know ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, he said it was, uh, I mean, I read the article and it was good. It led with him just being a brute and a monster. And, yeah. Um, there's even like a 13 minute short, uh, kind of like 60 local 60 minutes documentary on the Monster Factory, Larry Sharp, and some of the guys that burned out and wanted to be something. And I mean, they they look like they're hair band uh, members trying to do it. But Bam Bam got a really, I mean, they they monstered him up good. Which is that was something I noticed. I thought was crazy. He was trained in '85. He was yeah, he blew up. Then so he bad. went to you know WCCW. World class of Von Erich's brother. Yeah, and then <laughs> about success stories. Eighty-seven. He's in the WWF. Yeah, he's in Sports Illustrated. <laughs> yeah. He's he has. I mean, once he worked, he had to work like maybe thirty matches at that yeah, time. Yeah. And then is that is that the typical trajectory for a pro wrestler, Jake? <laughs> that's how it always happens, right? <laughs> today, for anybody starting today, that's actually the typical trajectory. Anybody, anybody before, no, <laughs> just struggle and just nothing but failure. But anybody that gets in now, yeah, that's kind of like the now, now, now culture, so it all fits. Yeah, perfectly. exactly. We yeah. we got to keep up with kids' demand to be famous. Yeah, okay, exactly. so the business has to change that way. All right. Uh, any 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 thoughts on him in Memphis? Uh, uh, I, did, I just want to talk about his debut, which was a fucking gorgeous a, piece amazing. of film. The way that Larry Sharp does it, he's covered in a sheet, and Larry Sharp's cutting a promo, and there's just this thing under a sheet, and then he pulls the sheet off, but then there's still a bag <laughs> on his head, which immediately it was like it was Friday the Thirteenth Part Two before Jason got the hockey mask. And he's baghead Jason with one eye hole. And all I could see was baghead Jason Bam Bam Bigelow shaking. And it was just the dumbest, amazing thing I've ever seen. Well, I mean, it was, it was a bed sheet, actually. So it's not the first time that a bald guy has had a bed sheet over top of him. So just, just to oh, clarify. But, and especially in Memphis, it's not the first time that a bald white guy had a bed sheet over top of himself. Mm. So That's very, very true. That is the state bird of Tennessee, actually. White man in a bitch. (laughs) 
Yeah, uh, Bam Bam seemed to, uh, he, he seems, first of all, to speak fondly of almost everyone, but he seemed to really love Memphis, the crowds there, Lawler, uh, the Jarrett's. Well, I can imagine Jerry Lawler, the, I, the multiple times that I've worked Jerry Lawler, I've always learned something. It's I always describe it to people as like the most fun, easiest match I've ever had before in my entire life, yeah. every single time I wrestle him. So I can't imagine wrestling him in 86, 85, as a top guy, yeah, when he was yeah, happy as just the man, yeah. <laughs> and, and and the way that Waller could like read a crowd, like every time I wrestle him, it's always been different because he'll find something that's going on in the audience. Know how to like, hone in on that? Yeah, like yeah. somebody said something, some sort of chant happens. They they bought something and more than they know, and they that. build off yeah. of that. Like I remember, I actually saw one of Bam Bam's matches from Memphis. And, of course, Bam Bam would do his thing, and he would do a cartwheel yeah, out of nowhere. And Jerry Lawler, for whatever reason, he had, like, a local DJ out there with him. <laughs> and, like, I think it was Juicy J, and he had and he used him as a manager for, for a while. Yeah. And Bam Bam does his cartwheel, and then all of a sudden Jerry Lawler's like, oh, yeah, want to see something? And he made this local DJ Juicy J, like, do cartwheels <laughs> all the way the aisle. Like, see, this guy can do it eight times. Can he do it eight times up there? Like... Cartwheel like, off. And just right in the middle of the match, he just yeah. got a cartwheel off. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he attributed a, a lot of his learning and success to Jerry. And I'd imagine him getting to work with in the Memphis territory, especially with Jerry, is how he blew up so fast, right? Like, it's like he was the monster monster. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like if we been... came up with Bill Burr and got to watch him every night and learn from him or whatever. Uh... Well, also, too, like. You know, big guys were always big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of he course, was, I'm he sure was it's like, a little He here. was the prototype. So for him to be a heel right then in Memphis would have let everyone know around that he was going to be a big fucking deal. Yeah, and he was so mobile and and what unafraid to bump. Yeah, uh, something that something that happens a lot with bigger guys is somebody gets a hold of a bigger guy, and even today, you get a hold of a bigger guy, and they always say, "Don't bump." Don't do this. You're a big guy. You don't sell for anybody. And it, it gets in guys' heads. And it's hard to work those guys because they're like, well, they told me I shouldn't bump. And the promoter told me I can't bump for anybody. And we're going to make that special. Or Bam Bam's like, no, I'm going to make this guy look awesome and great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to move around and I'm going to do a bunch of spots. And, and we're just going to have a keep rolling comeback That's, going. Yeah, with all the matches that I watched of Bam Bam, just his uh, no, no fear to bump good and make everyone else look good because of all the bumps he would take and how hard he would sell. And just the one that comes to mind, even in his older age, is when he took that uh, T-bone Tazplex off the apron into the chairs, into the crowd. I mean, like, he would, he did not give a shit. Yeah, that's kind of going to be a theme throughout his whole career is he was willing to do things and could do things that big men couldn't do, you know, with yeah. the, the moonsault, the drop kicks. And he would, he did not care to make someone look good to put someone else over and maybe did it to a fault. So you're saying those those shitbag promoters were right? Like the big guys aren't supposed to bump? Don't give them the power, Nicholas, okay? Like I thought I was just weaseling away from them. And you're like, no, those promoters that make all these monsters that don't bump for guys like Jake Manning. You know, they're right. You know? No, what, well, that's, oh, God, we walked into something horrible. Man. I got all this trauma, okay? Like, well, and it's not that he shouldn't. It's just that he would and he would make it look good. Where, you know... Uh, Maybe there, there, there's a middle ground. You know... <laughs> he sure should have found the middle yeah, ground, yeah, maybe? Yeah. Between Jake and then what Bam Bam did? Where, fucking, I'm sure King Kong Bundy never fell on his back his entire career. No, he did because I saw Bam Bam put him yeah, on well, his yeah, fucking yeah. back. 
He put, I mean, that was one of the big things that he was talking about when uh, his first WWF run, he was putting uh, King Kong, uh, and, you know, putting him on his back and beating him, and that was a big damn deal back then. After Memphis, he went to another legendary territory, WCCW, with the Von Eriks. It's pronounced world class, brother. <laughs> He, he also uh, seemed to like his time down there, aside from the fact that they took away his Bam Bam Bigelow gimmick Brilliant. and made him a Russian hill because that was just the hackiest thing to do in 86. Not 86. I was told to do that 10 years ago. <laughs> so maybe, Cold War's over. Fuck it. We're still doing it. No, in, in 89, they're like, no, what you really need to get over is if you became a Russian. This Boy Scout thing is not working out for you. You need to be a Russian. And then, like, as soon as Rusev came out, out, like several years later, that uh, same guy is like, "See, I told you." Uh, <laughs> you it could get over. People now. never Just, forget. Uh, People uh, never forget. Walk out and be like, "I tamper with election," and then you're <laughs> immediately uh, maybe a face in yeah, some parts right. of the country. But uh, you're, good old you're, Crusher Yerkov, or Bam Bam said, the closest thing they could get to Crusher Jerkov. <laughs> yeah, he was not happy about that at all. But also spoke highly of his time there. Got to work again with a lot of very talented people. Learned a lot. I think Bruiser Brody booked there. Is that right? I think he... Do you know Jake? Yeah, he said he, he booked there, but he said he wasn't a fan he, of his booking. Yeah, that's right. Fan yeah. of his wrestling, but not, but his, not his booking. Yeah, yeah. He also said that he liked working Carrie, but Kevin was brain dead, which is, you know. Yeah, yeah. He'd come up to a <laughs> now, now it's reverse. Now it's reverse. Which, yeah, we... we if, <laughs> If we keep this going. Next topic, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> After that, he would go to his first WWF run in May of 87, although they keep him off of TV until the fall. I think I read he came in with Ultimate Warrior and that he they did the same thing with both of them. Oh, that seemed unusual. Did that happen much back then where they'd sign someone and keep him off TV that long to build him up? Or I'd imagine even then they'd want you to learn to work like the WWF style, style which I'd imagine. Yeah. Well, and they're also getting like different characters. Like, yeah, they're, they're getting the they're getting the total package like refined. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You know, okay. the, the ring jacket, the music, the colors you're going to wear. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of gotcha. get an idea like what we're going to go with you. So that was be. you. That would be pretty normal back then for to do. Like I know that? they did it with that... Billy Jack Haynes because they brought him in for a short period and then he left. And they did with Dick Slater like. A couple years later, they did that a lot. Like okay. during that time, but they bring people in. They do a little bit of house show stuff. Maybe they'd appear on TV. Maybe they're not. I mean, heck, they were bringing in Missy Hyatt to do Piper Pit s stuff, and like, huh, nah, didn't you know, they, didn't want they were always trying different things, and they they wouldn't put it push it out front until they decided. With it. So they they were essentially open micing, which they could do then, because I'd imagine you were allowed to fail and even maybe completely change gimmicks before you. Because who TV would know? Because, who yeah, know? there was no camera phones. There was... Well, the original Demolition had one of the Moondogs in it. Yeah. It was supposed to be Randy Colley and I believe Bill Eady were supposed to be Demolition, but everybody recognized that it was Moondog. <laughs> so they started chanting Moondog, Moondog. <laughs> kind of like, ruins it again. And they're like, ah, uh, we need to find somebody else, and hence why they brought in Crush. Huh. When they finally did uh, bring him on the TV, uh, he got, I think he got some vignettes, some a lot of like kill manager promos of uh, oh I want this monster, and then he signs with a with a face, which makes him a baby face. Yeah, that was, so that was he, kind of surprised. They had the they had the slick all over him, like you thought he was going to be totally slick, and they pulled the old swerve yeah, and yeah, yeah. pops in. My first thought was, oh yeah, Bam Bam Bigelow, this 
mean giant with flames on his head, and you're yep. gonna make him come in as a face. But also, he he was saying how hard it was for him to work as a hill because he was just so damn cool to watch. You know, he's this 400 pounder doing backflips and stuff. And I remember that as a kid. He was a bad guy, and he was you know he was being mean to Undertaker or whatever. But he was just so awesome to watch that I I, yeah. I liked him even as a stupid little kid, you know. And then was... and then they pair him up with Rip Taylor, and then I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, but then also too, he has flames all over himself, yeah, yeah, yeah. like every Hot Wheel at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so so he comes in face. He he wins a feud with One Man Gang, which is uh, for the time I assume was pretty big. We had a TV match with Andre the Giant. Yep. And the biggest thing was he was part of Hulk Hogan's Survivor Series team where he outlasted everyone until he got down to uh, Andre. 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 Uh, was it one King Kong and, and Kong one Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then beat two of them until Andre finally beat him. That's a big, that's big. That's, that's a, a big good push. push. That's, that's, that's pretty big. That's, that's uh, especially for a guy who's been in... Like a year at this point, you know, uh, in the WWF, four years total, three years total. He, he got a pretty big uh, push, and apparently Vince wanted to just give him everything, push him to the moon, but he blew out both his knees, and Vince was not happy about that because... And or his bad attitude, we don't know. Yeah, maybe what a combination. I mean... No, I, I like Bam Bam, but I mean, I just, I, you never fucking know. Yeah, you never yeah. really know what is going on. But also, too, like, how many guys from that era said that Vince was going to put the strap on them? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You, you know, like, if I had $1,000 every time somebody has said that in a shooter interview, I wouldn't be financing my Now I'm honestly curious. Could you give me five? Bad News <laughs> Allen. Really? I uh, believe Rocco even said it. <laughs> like, just some of the most obscure ones. I think yeah. Orndorff even said it. Just they were supposed things. to give it to DiBiase at one point, though, for sure, right? Wasn't that like a real deal thing? Probably. I thought he was supposed to win the tournament in four, or I might be wrong. Uh, well, according to Bruce Pritchard, it was always going to be how it was going to be the oh. Macho Man. Okay. Because they did a tournament with Macho Man in Chicago, and they're like, oh, no, this is going to be our guy. Okay. For sure. So uh, he leaves WWF, gets double knee surgery, uh, heals. Then he goes to, uh, he does some, a, a little bit of work with WCW or NWA, whatever you want to call it at that time, who also wanted him, who also wanted to put a belt on him. But he goes to his favorite place, which is Japan. And he wrestles with uh, New Japan and uh, old Japan, I guess is what he called it. He said he did something like eighty Japan tours or something. Like he, uh, Bam Bam loved Japan. He loved the style. He loved learning. He loved the money. Yeah, that was he loved the damn money. money. That is that again. Another <laughs> big Bam Bam theme is my check didn't bounce, brother. You know, like uh, I can't say anything bad about him because I got my money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is you know he he had a good career. Well, you talk he about looked. how fast he ascended in the states. Like the fact that in a couple of years he was in WWF. In 87. Yeah. In 87, you know, WWE at the time was unbelievable. But also, too, keep in mind, when he went with New Japan, his first match is against Tony Inoki. Yeah. yeah. His he's third still... his third match is against uh, Fujinami. Yeah. So, like, Those he's... They who, that's who owned it together? Is that right? Yeah, they were pretty much running the show. They're, yeah. they're your top guys. Yeah. But, like, you know, Inoki would always bring in, like, a big monster, and 
if it sucked, he was never come back again. Much like the great Antonio, like there was always the cycle of guys that they would bring in. Yeah. But if you could work, they'd keep you around and use you. And I think that's probably that he would kick him over to Fujinami to see can this guy really, really mm. go. I think it's kind of usually the cycle that happened. But backing up to NWA WCW at that time, I think it'd be NWA at the time Crockett promotion. Correct. Yeah. Trivia fact: Who did Bam Bam Bigelow face in his first time working for Jim Crockett? George South. Correct. Oh, yeah! <laughs> I am the best. Uh, nice. <laughs> first, first ever. Wow. Te- I, I texted George. I, I watched it on YouTube, and I texted George immediately. That's on YouTube? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Fuck, I've been so much research and didn't find that. Well, it's, it's mixed in a YouTube clip of just that entire episode. Oh, gotcha. But you gotcha. can find it pretty easy if you do right, a search. Right, right. And so I texted George and I go, uh, George, uh, what was it like working Bam Bam Bigelow in 1988? To which he replied, horrifying. Worst ever. <laughs> I, I think that's only because, like, like anything, you know, Bam Bam's trying to get himself over. Yeah. So he's the company. So he's on TV. And he beat him pretty good. Like, yeah. he gave him a super kick and, like, George had nowhere to bump. So he just, like, Ooh. fell out of the ring. <laughs> and then, like, it was, it was like, tackle, drop down, and he was going to do a cartwheel over top of him. But he gave him, like, a shoulder tackle. And then he just, like, randomly did a cartwheel over top of George. And George just, like, got this look on his face, like, what, what? are you doing? <laughs> I mean, at this point. Too much energy. He he had, he was still new, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the whole part. He was great as shit the whole time, but he's still over his hill. Well, yeah. that's the thing. Like, he was doing things that no big guy was doing. And they just kind of put George in there. And George was like, what is going on? <laughs> right now. I, I mean, I did sign up for this, but I didn't fucking sign up for this. Pretty much. That's, that's a look at his face. Like, I know who I am. Yeah. I know I do this all the time, but what is going on? <laughs> like, there's too much change happening in the ring right now. I think George's uh, favorite quote to me back was, he said, even Hiro Matsuda hated it. Said, well, even Hiro Matsuda said he hated it, and he didn't speak English. <laughs> that, was, that was a classic George He crossed line. his universal hate. Yes. But uh, like I said, it, it was just, I think it was more of a circumstances. Yeah, like if right. I had Samoa Joe's first match on TV, I'm sure he'd take some liberties with me. Right. And he's yeah, a yeah. wonderful individual. Right, so, right, right. Because you know, all I've heard from Bam Bam from most people is how good of a guy and how light he worked, too. Yeah, but if you're a job guy and you're trying to get a job at <laughs> the first time in the company, and you've never, sorry, sorry. And you've never seen a, a 300-pound guy do a cartwheel before, and he just does a cartwheel over top of you when you don't expect a cartwheel, yeah, you're yeah. fucked. I, I would not like it either. <laughs> Alright, he would take his cartwheeling talents to uh, Japan and win the IWGP Tag Team Championship with Vader. Leon. Leon. I don't, I, I don't understand their dynamic totally. They seem to be friends who kind of rib each other, and but also Bam Bam seemed to kind of think Vader was an asshole. Now, from what I took in... Bam Bam thought Vader was a rare piece of shit, in opinion-wise, because he usually would kind of think highly of some people in some ways, but for the most part, he kind of crapped all over Vader. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing I heard was uh, they were going to Japan. Apparently, the traffic in Japan is just god-awful go. I think uh, 40 minutes takes, uh, or 40 miles takes four hours, and a uh, 65-year-old woman shows up to pick them both up. She's late. Vader loses his shit, smacks a 65-year-old woman. And, yeah, I think ever since then, that kind of gave a bad opinion of the situation. Yeah, uh, Vader always just wanted to put himself over and was very selfish, where Bam Bam, again, was very selfless. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, because Jersey guys don't smack sixty-four <laughs> women. They only smack their wives. Okay? Like, for the record, that's how Jersey guys operate. But yeah, like you, you talk about the dynamic of, of Vader and I, I, like he talked about, he's like he was there to groom him. Yeah, it was yeah. very competitive to Vader, but not to Vader. Well, and like really. nobody's ever liked working Vader. <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever. Zane. Yeah, exactly. I, and I, you know, I fuck Vader for all the things that he's done to people who I like, people who are my friends, yeah. and the way he's just like shit all over them and not, but not even give them just the least a bit of offense. Now I feel bad for liking his post about going into heart surgery a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, take, that take that back. Take that back. Take that back. Go angry face it right no, now. No, no, I'm gonna go find the tweet, and you guess what? Reclick. Click it off. <laughs> and it wasn't even against like the Japanese. Like they were, he was talking about like a match at Starcade. Where Vader didn't want a job to Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and and then Bam Bam's like, oh, so, God. so they didn't tag oh, him yeah, in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't tag him in. Didn't let him get his spots in. And he just and he's just like, oh, Leon, we're really gonna go through this. Yeah, the 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 one the one thing I wrote down from that specific thing was Vader's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> And we hope you don't die, Vader. We hope you don't die. <laughs> yeah, because then we have to do an episode about it. <laughs> After his, I guess this would be his initial Japan run, he went back to the newly purchased Ted Turner uh, WCW, where he joined uh, Cactus Jack, Buzz Sawyer, and known pro wrestler murderer Kevin Sullivan. Oh, we're bringing that in. <laughs> not even a leg. We're, go- we're going- not even putting a leg. <laughs> no. Just right out of the gate, you're already trying to get a shutdown <laughs> yeah, by yeah. not putting alleged in yeah. there. It's a simple thing. Like, you just put yeah, alleged yeah. in front of it. It's called it illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lawsuits and shit. Come yeah. on, son. Uh, just, just put alleged in there. It feels so good. Parody <laughs> doesn't protect everything. They were in a, a stable called Sullivan Slaughterhouse, uh, which Kevin just calls house. <laughs> or the SS. Uh <laughs> Then in 92, he'd go back to Japan where, you know, again, he loved working in Japan. He would do New Japan. He would do the smaller... Pro- he would just... Everything. Loved Japan. Loved... And got paid uh, a lot of money, which I assume... Yeah, well, I, I heard oh, 5000 a week, and then there was another... In- 12000 a week in the 98 shoot interview turned into 5000 a week in the 2002 shoot interview. So, I don't know. Average those? Get your yeah, number? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's adjusting for inflation. You know? <laughs> oh, goddamn. Like, Thunderball is, is the number one James Bond film of all time because of inflation. So. <laughs> but it didn't make nearly as much as Skyfall. So. Yeah, Gone with the Wind, greatest yeah. of all time. And then after that, he would go back to WWF for the run where I would say most people know him from, at least my Mark Ass, because I didn't know a lot about the earlier stuff. I kind of vaguely remember the Survivor Series, but this... Were you would, like two... Well, you know, watching it on, on VHS or whatever. This this run is, you know, this is bam, bam, yeah. theme music. I mean, I think he always had the tights. 45 seconds of instrumentals and then bam, bam. <laughs> there he he would be in the finals of the King of the Ring yeah. against Brett, which was, you know, big deal. He said he loved working with Brett. And, you know, Brett could work with anyone and Bam Bam could work with anyone. So those two together had to just been just... So it's just fun. Probably well, just easy but, night at work, you know? Well, also, too, like, like Bam Bam was always really great at, like, wrestling a smaller guy. Yeah. A- anytime in his career where he was wrestling a bigger guy, 
it always seemed to be a clash. Yeah. But if he was going against somebody of Brett's size or Rob Van Dam's size. Spike Dudley. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the smaller guys, there's that story. But if they're no. just big enough to have like a right, right. thing, gotcha. like it would have been interesting to see a Bam Bam versus Shawn Michaels yeah. main event yeah. thing yeah. back and forth. But yeah, like Brett is as close as we're going to get. And later on, his matches with Rob Van Dam. Totally. Bam Bam's, I guess, style was always. Bully, 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 mm. face makes a comeback, squash it, bully, bully, face overcomes everything, wins yeah. the building. Because they built Brett up so much in that King of the Ring, too. Because he had the the first match with Razor Ramon, worked a bunch of minutes, and then uh, he had that great match with uh, Perfect, and then he had to go against Bam Bam in the final. So it was yeah. after all that, it was a total monster. And then Bam Bam, he didn't even have to fight in the second round because of, uh, I think, Luger and somebody having a draw. So they really milked that whole monster who was fresh versus, you know, Brett who was dead. What, the heel got advanced to the finals <laughs> in a professional wrestling tournament? Uh, it was. I think it was the first time it said on Wikipedia. First time ever. <laughs> I'd never done again either. That's why it's such an oddity, and that's why we're doing this podcast. You think they would have redone that again. It's but such I an mean, ingenious idea yeah, to yeah, give it's... the heel a buy into the finals <laughs> of a tournament that you're doing. Crazy as shit. So uh, I think that this was like the early days of Raw, too. Uh, you got a ton of TV time. A lot of pay-per-views during this run. Uh, you got teamed up with Luna. Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they're both bald. Uh, they're an attack team. In uh, 94, he joined the Million Dollar Corporation until Sid came and they turned on him. Which is uh, weird because he had to have went back, right? Because for... 95, they were in his corner when he wrestled Lawrence Taylor. Uh, I, no, I think he was, once he was in the corporate, the corporation was always in the corporation, right? I don't, I don't honestly. They I'm, definitely I'm, turned after the LT match. Yeah, for sure. That would have made yeah. more sense. Yeah. 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 You yeah. lost to a football player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't. I don't think because he, because he, keep in mind he was tagging with Tonka when Tonka was in, yeah. and they went through the tag finals when they faced one, two, three, kid and Bob Holly. Yeah. And that set up the whole thing. And I don't even know if Sid was in the company at that time. Okay. Because Sid didn't come in until right before WrestleMania. Right. Because to be body, the, the, the bodyguard oh. for um, Sean. Oh, right, right, right. So. Yeah, that was because that was Sid and Sean and Diesel, against Diesel. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was uh, yeah, this is not the main event of WrestleMania 11, which led to some shit between the click. And Bam Bam, which we can talk about. But first, I want to talk about the Lawrence Taylor match. Do you think it is the best celebrity match of all time? Because you have Tyson. I got, I got one to throw out there. I'm going to let Jay go first, but I got one that's really good. That, you know, I don't know. That, that Drew Carey <laughs> performance, like that was used quite properly. Oh, like... I was going to say Jay Leno. No, yeah. The Floyd Mayweather fight with Big Show at WrestleMania, that was a good fucking match. I, th- I mean, I think if you rewatch that, that's that's well done. It is not embarrassing, which is all you want out of a celebrity, celebrity match. match yeah. I mean, I th- the the Mayweather and then the LT match, I think, are close for best celebrity matches. But I guess I need to do more research. Go yeah. back to that Drew Carey one. That's, 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 <laughs> what yeah. was that one again? He was the Royal Rumble. And then Kane came out. And then I think he eliminated himself. <laughs> oh God! So Kane Kane has thrown out Drew Carey and Paul drove Pete, Pete Rose. Rose twice. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a, a very watchable match 
for someone who who Bam Bam kind of said LT was a pain in the ass to work with, uh, just as far as like showing up and being, you know, he's a spoiled bazillionaire athlete with a drug habit. <laughs> yeah, I cover I covered this this actually this pay per view on my other podcast. How did this get blown? <laughs> um, and quite extensively, and also too, I've seen the Lawrence Taylor documentary. Yeah, uh-huh, and uh-huh. he talks about. Him getting into wrestling as being the absolute lowest moment uh, in his entire life. Well, I mean, this is what Bam Bam said in the the RF video shoot. That was like, it was like, so what was, was Lars like a wrestling fan? What did he get in this for? And Bam Bam just to me was like, nah, it's money, payday. It's yeah. a payday. Mm-hmm. He wanted a million dollars. He had a drug yeah. habit. It's like, oh, okay. But then right after that, he's like, well, he's a good guy. He's a good if, guy. If the lowest point of my life is getting paid a million dollars to headline a WrestleMania. <laughs> I will have a pretty good life. Yeah, not doing a live interview on television after smoking crack. No, <laughs> that's not your lowest moment in life. Headlining WrestleMania. Redneck which, kick wrestling. That's, which, that's worse. Which, how many professional wrestling interviews are someone on crack? I would Allegedly. say most of them Allegedly. from the 80s. <laughs> You're not but, doing names you don't have to say later. <laughs> but I, I remember that whole Lawrence Taylor you know, match. And I remember that a lot of the talk, especially in WWF, they wanted you to believe that maybe Lawrence Taylor was going to have a career in the WWF. Yeah. And they kept referring to like, big can't hurt any lad. Like maybe he's going to be that. Mm. But then of course, like as we find out in Bam Bam's interviews, he's, he didn't even show up for the practices yeah. for this match. He said he only trained with him for a few hours. hours. So the fact that he got just a few hours and put on an actually pretty decent yeah, match for is what it is. A, a miracle, but also I feel like that reflects on Bam Bam Bigelow. And also, I even throw in Pat Patterson, who was the referee yeah. in that. Yeah, me, me, me and that. Nick watched the match right before we came over here. And we're sitting there, uh, we pull it up, and we're kind of staring at it. And it's that slow, like, five-second moment where you're like, is that fucking Pat Patterson? Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, it is. And it's like, why is he? And there was like, well, you just wanted as many professionals as possible in the ring with LT at the time. So dudes who really know their shit, you really want them in there with a dude like LT. Well, if shit, if shit went haywire, Pat would have yeah. directed it right, right away. Right, right, right. And right. If, if he was going off script, Bam Bam would have directed him. So like that's yeah. that's as comfortable as yeah. Vince McMahon could possibly be. Yeah. And that's why they gave him Bam Bam. You know, put him in the ring with a guy who's made a career out of making everyone look like a million dollars. And know? he himself looks like a million yeah, dollars yeah, yeah. just because he like, has that look. And he's a killer, allegedly. <laughs> I can we talk about the paydays. I was, Bam Bam says he got two hundred fifty grand for twelve minutes of work or whatever. Yeah, and LT got a million. Million dollars. I wonder how quick that went away. Immediately after party. <laughs> at this point, the click at this point was in their full blown being douchebag phase to the point where Bam Bam said they were controlling the company because Vince couldn't say anything to them. Yeah. Or what, your top four guys going to Yeah, yeah. he said they were like going into production meetings and yeah, shit yeah, yeah, and yeah. just like getting in on all of everything. And, you know, Bam Bam was watching them destroy careers and then was pushed uh, Chris Candido to fucking kill himself. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me let me speak up for the click here, okay? Because I got a good buddy. Boom! I got a good buddy, Kevin Nash. I got to stick up for it. Well, Bam Bam even put Nash over after all the bullshit, so apparently well, Nash is the good dude. Well, Sorry, here's the thing. A lot, of, a lot of the click members, like, they always refer to, like, hey, we, we had a meeting of guys that could go and, and do business, and we want in the company. And the people that can't do that, they may, gave Vince a whole list of those people, and the guys that could deliver 
Bam Bam was always on it, and he that was always their example. Like, we don't like Bam Bam. But, you know, we know that he can go and he, he can do his do thing. It, yeah. That's the name they always throw out there. Like, hey, we'll do business with people we don't even like. <laughs> and the part of the reason that you don't like him is because he'll call you on your shit. Yeah, but, but at the same time, too, with the click, you know, people give him a lot of, like, grief for trying to politic and do things behind everybody's back. But here's the thing. This is your career. You're putting your life on the line every night. You're traveling those roads. You're making bare minimum at this time. Like you, you making peanut. Like I probably make more than what they were making on some of these shows. Really? They, from Jesus. what what Kevin Nash was telling me, they were getting like fifty dollars at some shows. They what were the getting a fuck? couple hundred dollars, like at TV tapings and stuff like that. Because that's always the scale. I saw the quick sidebar uh, the one shoot thing with Nash. He said his first WWF contract was like a guaranteed. 10 appearances for 150 bucks each. Yep. Yeah, and it was yeah. like, holy shit! But the, the trade-off apparently was Vince was like, I'm going to put you on TV. I'm going to blow you up. Mm. So I'm only going to pay you 200 bucks. Yeah, so hey, you want to work for, free, you work for free, but you get great exposure. Which, it's kind of still like that where the TV matches, you're not getting paid, you're driving there on your own and shit, and then you get a big part of the pay-per-view i was trying to pay-per-view pay-per-view and opening. merchandise yeah, Wait, and, you the, and you have the merchandise that's set up already in walmart's yeah. targets everywhere else toys r us you already set up that way but like well, the point i was trying to make with them like don't you want to take control of your career as opposed to let no. vince and pat patterson and everybody else right. in the office dictate where you want to go as an artist don't you want to control your own career? There always is that, but then there's that middle ground where it's like, you don't have to be a total piece of yeah, shit. And that's, I'm always so torn on the click because you look, there's some of the greatest wrestlers of all time, especially, uh, you know, I really love Hall and Shawn Michaels and Triple H as far as just being amazing in-ring performers. But God, they were, they were such, they were such assholes. And, and then Nash, at this point in his career, I know he went on to do like cool things, but at this point in the career, all he had done for the business is have the worst heavyweight title, title run, run <laughs> ever and be tall at this point. With good knees. Yeah. Yeah. And then later he would go on to NWO and Terrace Quad. 14 times. <laughs> I'm always so torn on the click because you have this collection of giants who acted like fucking frat boys. You say that the, that's their fault, but that's also the environment that Vince wanted. I get that, too. No, he, no. He I, loves that. that I, and that's the environment that's there to this day. I can't tell you, you. Everybody complains about the click. I'm like, oh, yeah? Well, guess what's going on there right now? Yeah. The awful things that they're saying about this person and this person's wife who also works for the company. We can't say and, that? Oh, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> but, like, Fuck. The, 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 the mind games and the playing around with people and the things that they do. And that's something from the top down. Yeah. So the fact that some guys were like, you know, what, we're not, we're not going to just let you mess with us. We're going to mess back and mess. Back. We're going to become the power in the company. Well, it was so. weird when that came up, and then uh, I think it's in the 2002 shoot interview where the interviewer at the it, when you look at it first, the 2002 shoot interview looks like it's in a porno warehouse <laughs> store, but then you look at it, it's it's wrestling. But they the dude questions him where he's like. Okay, so what's the difference between the click and the triple threat with the power in ECW? And he goes, well, and it's like, it's clearly not as bad. And he, he puts he puts a lot of emphasis on how they didn't abuse anybody, but they, you know, they could have if they wanted. But there was still that, just the, the emphasis of when he goes, well, like, there's still that possibility there. And it still rubs off on anyone when you get a taste of it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, sure, Al Snow could paint a very uh, <laughs> non-flattering picture of Shane Douglas and oh, his yeah. Tiger and Easter. Oh yeah, Shane, so, Jesus Christ! Well, but, but with the click, most of them grew up and matured and became. Did Shawn Michaels? I would say now. <laughs> I mean, he's giving back. He's training. He's I know. He, uh, you know, Hunter is is doing stuff for. He's not carrying bags anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's not carrying. Which at the same time, to Hunter, like. Don't you want to get in line with the people? With the power? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a I mean, good no. political. No, no, no. It's just easy jokes, and I just, I just felt like I had to say it. It's this way. I love them all individually. I hate the click. Maybe. Well, it's just like groupthink. Like people are great individually, but you get a bunch of people together, and Jonestown happens. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> what I say to you is, don't hate the players. Oh God. Hate the game. I mean, no. I mean, I, I hate the game of politics in professional wrestling, but I'd say don't hate the players that are playing the game better than everybody. Else. Which. Uh, Again, I think it'd be easy to just be like, "Ah, oh, fuck the click. They were assholes." But at the same time, it's not that easy. Of because, course, nothing's you know, ever that easy. But the way Bam Bam talked about the click, which you know, he was again, on the other side of it. He has to talk that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on Bam Bam's side. I am too. <laughs> the fucked up part is, he just like, seems like such a good dude. Yeah, with the way he didn't talk about shit about as much people and tried to be nice about some, and then the way he totally shit all over them, I was like, oh, maybe there's something in here. But it, but it's still it's still biased as fuck. It's still you know. If you listen to Bam Bam's shoot interview, it's almost boring. Because he has nothing bad to say about... You listen to good shoot guy. interviews... Great, no, that's what, good guy. Yeah. Great guy. Good guy. Great guy. A lot of respect. Great guy. A lot of respect. <laughs> like, you listen to shoot interviews, they'll be like, oh, I fucking stabbed a guy in a heart or whatever, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> And Bam Bam's just like, you know, he didn't say anything bad about Hulk Hogan. Everyone has something bad to say about Hulk Hogan. But I mean, why, Bam Bam specifically, why would he, though? I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, he got the Hogan run and Hogan was awesome to him. It just comes down to the fact that those guys played politics because they had to. They wanted to take control of their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bam Bam didn't believe in politics. And he, he really did. Yeah, he yeah. believed he, in he hard would work. call bullshit for bullshit, and he didn't matter what that, happened to his career yeah. or anything. And I think that was one. And of that the... runs headlong into politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, that's why we are in the seat we are in today. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I thought was interesting, I watched the '98 and the 2002 shoot interview. '98 shoot interview, Flair comes up and he's like, "Hey, this guy is just yeah, I don't know. He had his good run." Went too many times pulling his dick out at the bar. I don't know. And then 2002, he's like, great guy. Nothing but respect. <laughs> Nothing but respect for Flair. And I was like, I don't know what happened. But apparently... Well, Flair tells a different story in his shoot interview. Oh, so really? So Bam Bam came in with a big head to WCW uh, after his 87 run. He was talking about, oh, I worked... Oh, events. the Sullivan run? or uh, No, before the 88 run. Oh, right. with Wyndham and stuff? Yeah, was talking about how like he... Main event with Andre. Right, 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 right. He was a big star and he was above all this. That's what Flair said about him. So. No, I mean, it seems like Bam Bam did have a big head on oh, herself. Oh, is that a bus? Can I push Ric Flair underneath of it? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bam Bam had his issues with the click, specifically after WrestleMania 11 when he main evented over the title with two click members, Diesel and Sean. He felt like the click's crosshairs were on him next. So he noped the fuck out of there and went back to Japan. Uh, he did. It seemed like he did a, a few ECW things, but then went to Japan again where he loved it. And this is where he did his MMA U Japan Kimo. Uh, fight. And Kimo fucked him up. Kimo who fought Hoist Gracie in the infamous match that made Hoist 
quit the tournament due to exhaustion right down the road at the Grady Cole Center. <laughs> did, did you watch the... Yes, I did. Oh, my God. I was disappointed that Kimo didn't come out with a cross like he normally that does. Just, that, was the, that was that match. That okay. was the hoist match at Grady Cole Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. He he takes him down at about four seconds. In four seconds. Good bam, single, bam, single leg takedown. Holds on to him for dear life. And then as soon as he gets an opening, just wails on him. Uh, Big John McCarthy would have stopped that fight about a hundred times. Nah, Big John kind of sucks, and he would have let it go. <laughs> took that well, shots fired at Big John McCarthy. <laughs> just listened to a podcast, Mike. Really liked him. Apparently, Mike didn't listen to the same. I got thing problems I with Big John McCarthy, <laughs> but uh, we'll go into that on another podcast. <laughs> Bam Bam said, "Not only was his fight a work, pretty much." That entire pay per view, that entire yeah, it was uh, like two matches were shoots. You Japan was you know it was an MMA brawl for it all essentially. Yeah, and Bart Gunn wasn't there to win. <laughs> <laughs> he said Dan Severin was there, who was an MMA fighter, right? And he yeah, took, yeah, he yeah. took a dive with the fight where it's basically Bam Bam said that he was going to get taken down, take some punches, and the finish was supposed to be a rear naked choke, and it's like Bam Bam's getting held down. And the good old days of MMA when you could just hold on to the cage. Yeah, well, I saw that. <laughs> I thought the ref grabbed the cage. There's no, yo, what's leverage? The ref's like, yeah, this is cool. This is fine. <laughs> and he's just holding it like, bam, bam, cannot do shit. Even if he knew anything about jujitsu, it would not have fucking mattered. So he's holding the cage, repeatedly punching him in the side of the head. While grinding at the top of his head into yeah, the steel cage, the cage. Not like the plastic coating cage that they have <laughs> yeah. right now. And then, like, the finish is supposed to be a real naked choke. And I feel like if Bam Bam was in that situation, he's already getting paid. He's not going to wait another 80 seconds to get punched to roll over to take the rear naked choke. So the whole shoot angle or the whole work angle feels weird to me. Why he would take the repeated punishment when he would, I would think if it was a work, you take three punches, you roll over, you panic, you take the rear naked choke, you're out of there in 45 seconds. It just seemed too long to feel like a work to me. Well, the thing with Bam Bam Bam's like a, tough dude he's like a he's like a man he is you know? but like, you he, take a single egg and a dude's on top of you holding a case punching you in the face well, he said he was grazing his fo- aside from the the shot no, that I know. Made he it said he was real. punching him strategically yeah, he was kind of yeah. pulling him because you you can hit a guy like in his brow just right and that's gonna bust the open every time like yeah, old, right. old 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 timers yeah could do it just just perfectly. Yeah. Like they cock their knuckle just so, <laughs> so stick on one knuckle, and they would get you. So that way, one one good punch and be busted open in the middle of the match. You wouldn't have to gig or anything like that. Uh-huh. I remember Doctor Tom Pritchard did that to Brad Thomas in two thousand and five, and Brad's eye was swollen up for weeks. <laughs> like it was like nasty and disgusting. Like Brad had to put a butterfly <sighs> bandaid over it for a while, but it was all just some angle they were doing and. Kingsport or wherever Jesus. that or Dr. Tom's like you know what you're a pretty guy I'm gonna fix that <laughs> you know but like he, the, the, some of those some of those guys just know how to do it just perfectly and I think that's what they were trying to go for and I think probably it took so long as he was trying to get that yeah. and he was probably not trying to like I believe the band like that it was kind of work because you see him go to his back immediately like almost like he's like all right you got blood get out yeah and, but, and but like I've, seen, I've, seen, I've watched a lot of mma and if a dude has no wrestling i mean well i guess the fucked up part because baby yeah, wrestling wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah but if he goes for a quick single egg and you're not expecting it you can get taken down and just destroyed so in that way it looked totally realistic to me it looked like he didn't expect he's taken down yeah. dudes on top of him because wrestlers if you're a good wrestler i mean I, I really don't jake might know more than me 
But if you're a good wrestler, you're not good off your back if you're a wrestler. Once you get taken down, you're fucked. Like, you really don't know what you're doing. And I don't know. It just it felt like Bam Bam saving face. But, but I mean, for 100000 the fuck? Let's leave it to Bam Bam to make someone look like amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know? true. Like, doesn't matter the sport or the art. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter, man. It yeah. is just a squirrely time. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think it's just good. It, boss doing pro wrestling. So I it's mean, true. It's true. Funaki so. and all and Ken Shamrock and yeah, in those shoot fights over in Japan. Yeah, and MMA out of Shamrock, Lashley, Bam Bam, Lesnar. Who is second place to CM Punk? Oh fuck! I don't know. The pay per view coming up might change all this, and no one can touch Punk. No, no one can. That's what I'm saying. But come. Oh, you mean even now? Yeah. 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 Fuck. Say Bam Bam's fight was legit. Okay. Whose is worse, CM Punk's first fight? Well, that's why. Oh, yeah. Bam I wanted to bring fight. this up. It's it's so crazy how parallel Punk's fight is with Bam Bam's. Because, like, uh, Punk's fight starts where he he does it. Like, I'm sure everyone told him, don't rush in, man. Just play it patient. Be patient. Don't do it. And Punk runs it, and he throws a right. And he has this moment where you can see in the slow-mo replay where he throws his right. He looks down at a... Fuck, I forget his name. He, he he shoots on him, and you can see Punk looking down like, oh, man, I just fucked up. <laughs> he, he, he immediately gets taken down, pounded out, rolled over, and rear naked choked. And I was like, oh, my God, it's just like the Bam Bam Which is fight. what? Was it's just like the Bam Bam fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow. Mickey Gall. Thank you. All right, well, after his little MMA uh, uh, payday, I guess, he goes back to America where he starts his epic EC dub run. Joining the triple threat faction that you brought up. Not immediately, though. He didn't do it immediately? No, he beat Shane for the... the I thought it was part of this. I'm, well, he I came, like it was he like started, summer of 97. Yeah. And then he had, the, he had the big thing with Spike Dudley where he was throwing him into the crowd. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which, You know, he's like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm the first crowd surfing uh, <laughs> wrestler. So Bam's like, another first. But then he beat Shane for the belt in like, I think September, I want to say. And he won with like a... Power bomb type thing, and then uh, two months later, then he won the uh, Shane won the belt off him, and then they did the triple threat. Uh, right no, they, they were the triple threat before because the whole angle. He Fox turned on Shane, right? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. the thing See, was, look, I just look stupid there. Now Jake's gonna make up for my <laughs> dumb. The whole angle was that the triple threat was formed. Rick Rude came in. Oh fuck, you're right. Because it, it came in as a madman, <laughs> then he was right. un- then he was unveiled, yep. and then he was saying that he was going to find people to take the belt away from Shane Douglas. Yep. And he you, kept you naming, it, bringing in these people, and then Shane would beat him, and then finally said, "The next person that's going to beat you for that belt is Bam Bam Bigelow." It was a big surprise. Yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah, came yeah. in, beat him, and it was just to set up for the fact that they were going to be running the Golden Dome. In, Pitts, in the Pittsburgh area, where Shane was like one of the major promoters in that area. Mm. And it, actually, November to remember, 1997. Seven. Exactly. That was the first ECW pay-per-view I ever watched. Yeah. It was, it was the third one, the third pay-per-view. And actually, it was just after, I believe, Hardcore, Hardcore Heaven, Heaven yep. which everybody was worried uh, because that got very poor reviews, like what was going to happen with the company on yeah. your third try. And they ended up you know, knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Even I mean, though Shane was banged up really bad, but he did all this promotion. Did like a 40-minute match and shit. Yeah, like Bam Bam carried him through. Yeah. It was one of the largest crowds, some of the most money that it ECW was, had mean, made at the that time. That was when ECW blew my fucking mind, man. When I didn't know about it, when I'm only watching WCW, WWF, I hear about it on message boards, and you just you hear about this crazy radical promotion, and 
I finally ordered it, and it was a total yeah. mind blown situation. Yeah, but it was it was doing financial success. They had gotten the critical acclaim right, right. off the barely legal. They lost a little bit of that critical acclaim, and they did okay financially, but it wasn't great at Hardcore Heaven. But then for them to come out in November to remember, it was like, oh no, this is a real company and a force to deal with. Yeah. Is ECW as big as it got to without Bam Bam? Because not that this is going to sound no, I mean, super disrespectful, but. Fuck Terry Funk. No, no, it's just that <laughs> Bam Bam is. Uh, was that like was a, a joke. That was a joke. Man. That was a joke. Was, was a legit wrestler. You know, he's a big name. And a lot of these guys, they. they Grew into big names. Yeah, you know, yeah, fucking yeah. Rob Van, you know, all these legends came out of ECW. By the time, they were like kind of an indie promotion but, I mean, it all that kind of, Bam Bam came into with all his that uh, WWF. Was just yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is right after he yeah. headlined WrestleMania. Without Bam Bam, are they the same company? Maybe, but, but here's the thing you think about is, you know, you could ask the same question with Ring of Honor right now. Is Ring of Honor successful without Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks? You know, it, it, the, the level of exposure that you get from booking somebody um, who, yeah, it wasn't like Shawn Michaels was wrestling, you know, Shane Douglas, but somebody yeah. who obviously had headlined a WrestleMania that had all this exposure that was coming in that was a credible individual. It almost, when you're building a company like that, for somebody that's like, oh, this guy made it into WrestleMania, and now he doesn't see this place as inferior or he doesn't see it as a less than. Right, right. It it's makes a, it, it legitimate, legitimizes it yeah, to an m- extent. M- much the, what Terry Funk did, you know, f- for the company as well. Yeah. So, but I, I don't know. I, they have guys there. They're, they're making moves and things are happening. I, I feel like sometimes it, I think the company had momentum. Like ECW's brand had momentum. I don't necessarily think it was the, the momentum that was going on with the triple threat angle. Or, or anything else. Was the really whole package. I think it was the whole package, but I, I think the thing that probably gave the legitimacy probably was Bam Bam, if I if I was the guest to answer your, your question uh, half-assed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they put the belt on Bam Bam, and I think that's the first uh, major championship he ever won. Didn't he win I something in Memphis? Maybe. I think, went, I think he won some stuff in Japan. Well, like well, yeah, well, he no, won he won the tag belt, but I thought he sure. won... Oh, God. He, he won the Southern Heavyweight title. Okay. In Memphis. We suck. Which but, everybody has. <laughs> which was everybody. crazy to me. I never noticed this until I read it. Um, he never had a belt at all in WWF. Nothing. Oh. That's nuts. I think he had like intercontinental matches. Yeah, he like. I'm sure he, yeah, yeah. challenged for a lot and then probably put over the champion, made him look good, and. He ne- never held a belt. Well, it's not like Doink had the IC belt, so he couldn't <laughs> beat Doink for yeah. it. So he Poor said Dink. he he kind of hated belts. He didn't like the not, I don't not maybe not the pressure. He just, well, he said that he didn't need to he didn't need a belt to be over, whereas other people needed a belt to be over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a guy, and he just liked to show up and wrestle. He liked yeah. to come do his job and all the other stuff. Which that was one of the Shawn Michaels berries. Like he needs his fucking belt. Bump. Yeah, 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 like. All right. Uh, anything about his ECW run? Because that's that's a big part of his career. Um, and one of the big, one of my biggest memories of being a tape trading internet nerd was um, seeing reports of the I think it's four four ninety eight if I'm remembering the dates correctly of the match against Rob Van Dam in Buffalo, New York, when uh, Van Dam beat him for the TV belt. And all the message boards are screaming, match of the year contender, match of the year contender. And it was one of those things where 
it was so exciting to hear about stuff you couldn't immediately see because your anticipation factor was through the roof. Yeah. And it was just so like, oh man, I bet you this match is fucking crazy and it's so good. And hearing about it, just the Bam Bam gave the belt to RVD then was so exciting too because I was a big RVD mark. But it was, I remember that having such a big impression on me as a young douche. And that was <laughs> uh, match of the year uh, people wanted it to be, but did it was a, get four stars. Didn't get four stars, three, three and three four stars by Meltzer. But oh, that uh, Bam Bam never got four stars. But I call bullshit because uh, there's a Cactus Jack uh, Eddie Gilbert match from 1991. It was a three corners of hell match or what? Uh, three stages of hell. Three stages. Three stages of hell. I think it's a uh, false count anywhere um, stretcher match and a cage match. And in the cage match, Bam Bam Bigelow does a run in to save Cactus Jack from what's a uh, uh, Eddie's brother Doug. Doug Doug's beating up uh, Cactus. Bam Bam comes in saves him. So. Bam Bam Bigelow has been involved in a five-star <laughs> Dave Meltzer match. Boom. That is the thing. <laughs> it's done. Bam, bam. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the Rob Van Dam match is incredible. Yeah. And it's one where you see Rob Van yeah, Dam that's, dive into the crowd. That's Rob's highlight of the lifetime. And also, too, another thing from the highlight reel is uh, Taz being on the back of Bam Bam and they fall oh, from man. the ring. I mean, dude. Like, you, you talk about what ECW be where it is without Bam Bam. Those spots, And, and I kind of, like, maybe'd it. But I'll tell you what, Taz would not be yeah, Taz what he would was be, no. without Bam yeah, Bam. So. Bam. He definitely, for sure, made Taz. Yeah. Without a doubt. 100%. Big time, big time, big time. So. Which is, uh, he kind of talked about Taz the way he did Leon, where <laughs> Taz... Very out for him, which I get that the business is you. you yeah, you yeah, gotta yeah. grow yourself or whatever. But he had the same mentality of like, all right, what, am, what are you gonna do for me later? Very, yeah. So for poor him brackets, to make brackets. his career is, uh, I don't know. Well, listen, he's a smaller guy. He's got to fight for himself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it's I, very true. You know, what nobody, nobody's gonna look at that package and like, oh, we're gonna push you to move. <laughs> yeah, you no, Kurt, I mean, no, I get it. I, I, I like Taz. Kurt uh, Angle's first loss. Just putting that out there. <laughs> After ECW is where things start going bad for Bam Bam. Because he goes to the now fully engulfed by the NWO and sadly enough, kind of the click back to that era of WCW where anytime he would get something cool working, it would just get squashed by Hogan or anyone... He the way he put it is that anytime they built something that they couldn't follow in the main event, they just kill it because they were blowing up their time, their money, whatever, you know. Well, he came in with the whole thing, uh, busting out of the car, right? yeah, going out. I mean, coming in through the arena, going up stage, beating the shit out of everybody, calling out Goldberg and thirty security members. They're like they pushed him to the moon right when he came in. But it, it seemed like he just kind of rattled around the mid card. He uh, they wanted him to be the the hardcore champion because he came from ECW and he was just straight up like dude I don't want to get hit in the head with a mop every night of my life I just I I signed with you guys to stop that shit (laughs) not doing this anymore and now I'm taking trash cans and I don't know whatever stupid stuff Mm. at this point I think I had switched completely over to WWF so I don't I remember him being on WCW and just thinking, oh neat, Bam Bam's there and you know, going back to Raw. Yeah, they never really used them properly there in WCW. It would have been interesting 
if he would have went to WWF. Back, yeah, yeah that's what then, I first thought. It's like, but yeah. apparently because was, you think about the way they repackaged even Big Boss Man. Yeah, imagine repackaging Bam Bam. 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 Yeah. That could have been Bam Bam, the Boss Man's whole run, because Bam Bam has that look. The you know the, you could have put him in the SWAT team uniform or whatever. Uh, Boss Man wore. Or just have him feed with Undertaker there, Taker, yeah. Dark Taker, or be a Big part Show. of, or I mean, be a part of the whole corporate ministry, or whatever was going on at the time. Yeah, or let him run without the like uh, constrictions of the era he originally was, the very cartoony era of you know '94. Now he's in the Attitude Era. Yeah, it's like like be... Cornette said, just make him the like big yeah. scary biker where he's just going around destroying Which, people. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute uh, about the era that Bam Bam was in. Maybe that if he wasn't in that era, are, are we talking about one of the greatest wrestlers of all time instead of just one of the great big men of all time? You know, because he always gets that qualifier. With of course. It. No one thinks of him with like, you know, Rock, Stone Cold, Hogan or the technical people like Dynamite, even though he was technically extremely gifted and reached some pretty big levels during his career. So uh, his big WCW, the long run kind of shit right <laughs> anything everything at that time was kind of shit yeah yeah, yeah. i mean this they were they were circling the drain i just want to point out that he got a 3.5 star uh match from dave uh for a match with uh sandman so anyone that can get a three yeah. and a half star <laughs> match with sandman that's it you gotta you gotta say something about that right mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in 01 obviously vince buys wcw and bam bam i could never grasp if he hated Vince or anything or had any like true horrible feelings but he did not want to go back and work for Vince it felt like to me that he Bam Bam was so big on that never say never or anything that even in shoot interviews he didn't want to totally shit on someone because maybe maybe down the road it's gonna be his boss again yeah 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 yeah. but uh I mean if the fact he didn't go back then I guess says something right I don't know I I think I think he just enjoyed being a pirate yeah, because it is a life of independence. It totally is, yeah. Because I mean, like you see, he like, floated so like much. there's a there's a there's a like a whole list of like independence that he did sporadically. Like he talks about like when he had two weeks off from Japan and he goes to wrestle for USWA. He goes like, "What am I gonna do?" Like, yeah, is, like, uh, is that the beach brawl or what? Well, he did Herb Abrams thing. The he, beach brawl. He could thing. just do two days out of the week. And he was in Moscow for a couple bookings. I, I mean, he's got like a random Mexico. random windy city uh, wrestling appearance in 1988. Right. He wrestled for Holly Race's promotion. He wrestled with a Florida promotion. He wrestled for that Vegas promotion, NWC. He wrestled for Northeast Wrestling, <laughs> a promotion that I wrestle for today. Yeah. Uh, Mid American Pro Wrestling, uh, PCW. While he was wrestling for WWF, so there's all these like he scary... just liked working, man. Yeah. He just all right. Um, yeah. The was it, you said? Did you say PDF Florida? I thought yeah. that was a good one. Uh, there's a YouTube match. He squashed Mike Awesome in like two minutes in 1989. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, that's the thing. He could, it's like he couldn't stay home. He's like, I was going to be on the road, be at a show, make yeah. a little bit of money. Anytime he had an opportunity to go back to Memphis, even during his WWF run, because they had good working relationship with USWA, mm-hmm. he did just because he just enjoyed the freedom and the independent of being a professional wrestler. Yeah, like, I, that's the beauty of the job is you're in one different town, yeah. you're doing something else, different show, different mm-hmm. crowd. You know, you're doing something that worked over here, and then something worked over here, and then you do it tonight, and it doesn't work, or it does work. And it just he just enjoyed you get to that entire... You get to be your own boss, man. Yeah. It's, it's a great fucking feeling. Yeah, like that's... I, I think he just loved that more than anything. 
and and as even today, a lot of my friends, you know, as they when they leave WWE now, they appreciate the the independence that you have on the indies. And then of course, when you go to the WWF, it's you should say it's just all just a crime. Do we have to say that? Is are we getting in trouble? No, I I'll say whatever <laughs> I want, but I'm just I'm just I, I if I'm you know I'm speaking of WWE today, so I can't call it WWE. You're an accurate motherfucker. Yeah, I'm being accurate at time periods. I will only refer to them as WWE past I, circuit dates. I'm just so. trying to figure out all this podcast stuff out. I'm just trying to not get in trouble. Yeah, but <laughs> but no, it's I, you know, you're up there for a grind. Like Matt Hardy's there right now on a grind. I think he probably enjoyed when he was booking his own schedule. Right, he could choose, right, right. choose his own time. That's part of the reason why the Young Bucks aren't there at WWE. To get, they get to choose their schedule. They're like, hey, in August, I'm going to take my family to Disney for an entire right. week. It was like the, and the, I'm not going to do a tour because I know they don't tour during this time. Or WWE would be like, hey, we need you to do autograph appearances and this, yep. and then be here for this, and then we want you to come down to NXT for this, and we want you to do this, and we want you to do this, and we got a European <laughs> tour, and we need you to do this. So it's just it's just a grind and a grind and yeah. a grind, and somebody's telling you where to be as opposed to you going, no, this is my schedule. Yeah. This I'm going to work do around this. This is this. It's a little bit more work, and I have to deal with all the travel and know where to go and, and booking. An arena that sells out but in you're a matter happy, of minutes. But you're happy. But you're making your own schedule. Yeah. So after this, Bam Bam would kind of just bounce around the Indies and you know doing Japan when he could. And then personally, shit gets weird, <laughs> bad. Uh, he divorces his wife in 2000. Also in 2000, he runs into a burning building to save kids. I thought it was a brush fire. I think it was a brush fire. It's a brush fire. Uh, either way, he saves... Sorry, I'm correcting he, you on Bam Bam Bigelow arson He gets He trivia. gets 40% of his body burned. And all I could think of is like, shit, he really missed those flames yeah, on his body. Yeah, like, fuck. He, he, he had to have stopped and been like, I see the irony. You oh know? my God, I'm a method actor and I didn't fucking know it. But I mean... And, and he and he just completely no sells it in this shoot interview. He's like, I just did. What he really did. did. He just like, I mean, I saved some kids' lives. What's the big deal? Yeah. Oh, can I go pee? Yeah. Can I go piss? Yeah. Just like no big deal. Anybody yeah. would have done that. And that just it was totally like that thing. It, it was that feeling where you say, you mention something to someone and you get that feeling like I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah. And it's just like you just saved kids' lives and it was a big thing and you should be a national hero. And Bam was like. No, nah, I don't want to talk about my dead dad. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to get into this. Yeah, next story, next story. Just it was. It was it, nothing. Yeah. It was nothing to him. Well, also too. I mean, that was forty percent of his body was burned. I, I wouldn't yeah. want to talk about that much. Or he was either. in the hospital for like two months. And yeah, shit. he so. missed like four months. I think he said of, oh, uh, yeah. of work. When it, yeah, that was it. He burned forty percent of his body. Couldn't work wrestling for four months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would. I would just like never well, do all right, again. dude. In 2002, he opened a restaurant, which is never a good idea. It was called the Bam Bam Bigelow <laughs> Restaurant. <laughs> That's just weird. Big like Elo? I don't know. He had a BLT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he really did. I think one thing I saw, he had the Big Bammer was like a pound uh, hamburger. Uh, I mean, man. you know, Jake's is obviously a better idea. <laughs> the BLT. <laughs> Uh, that that closed. Uh, I'd imagine immediately. <laughs> Who? Let's see. Uh, I think Hogan had a burger place, and then Lawler has a barbecue restaurant. Abdul which is the butcher which, at uh? Didn't Abdul the butcher have I a would restaurant? Never eat anywhere he's even been. 
What are you talking about? He's never had problems with blood. <laughs> but, uh, Abdullah has the Chinese food in House of Ribs. Oh! Uh, uh, Hogan had Pasta Mania. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, Jerry Lawler's Barbecue Restaurant on Beale Street. I just went like a month ago. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he's from Memphis. Memphis does barbecue. But it's yeah, on it Beale Street, Nicholas. Like, that's the, that's the beauty of it. And he has like... I think it's the USWA belt just yeah. sitting in a case <laughs> randomly at the restaurant. Like, we have to go there. And they have, like, because it's Beale Street, they have a stage there. And on that stage is this big vinyl, like, picture of him on the David Letterman uh, nice. show yeah, with yeah. Andy Kaufman. Oh, wow. So of all the stages I want to play, it's that one. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I don't know who books that. Yeah. Um, in 2005, he was hospitalized with a broken nose after a pretty brutal motorcycle wreck that almost killed his girlfriend, and they wanted to charge him with manslaughter, but she made a full recovery, and, uh, they, they kept dating, which is, I don't know, I don't know if I have that love in my heart for anybody if well, they almost murder me. Shane Helms and, and his, his wife. Shit, really? Yeah. I did not know very, that. Very, very similar circumstances. Jesus, yeah. Uh, stay, stay away from restaurants. Stay away from motorcycles. Listen, uh, if, if, if me, yeah, that if, is your life. If right? me and Josie have a rough patch, I'll just get a, on a motorcycle <laughs> and hit a rough patch. So, like, literally and figuratively, yeah, it'll all work out. Exactly. So, <laughs> he made it through that. Then his final match ever would be November seventh, two thousand six. It was a tag match. The Syndicate versus uh, Overkill. You know any of those guys at all? Uh, the Ralph Mosca sounds familiar. I feel like I've met him before. Um, the other guys, uh, not so much. I might, I might met, have met them before because I think it's for ACW Florida. Yeah. So I'm sure I've met them at some point in time through my years of being down there for FIP and multiple mm-hmm. Florida indies through the years. But it's it just not ringing a bell. And pro- part of the reason why it's probably not ringing a bell is I didn't look up the match or look up like I would recognize their faces immediately. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, know that guy. Yeah, yeah. But like the names are not. Oh, yeah. How many names of guys had over? And, and that might not be the names of the wrestling under right now. Like I, ju- I just found out that um, that uh, Simon Grimm was Ryan Drago, and I'm like I met him in 2006. And so, oh, in the uh, yeah. new Creed movie. Or what are we talking about? No, the like the, um, the, the one of the vaudeville villains. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I'm not good on new WWE stuff. <laughs> um, lastly, January nineteenth, two thousand seven, Bam Bam would be found by his girlfriend uh, in Hudson, Florida, dead at the very young age of forty five years old. The autopsy showed Bam Bam had uh, toxic levels of cocaine and anti-anxiety drugs in his system, which I think if we do a thousand episodes of this, that's how all three of us will go. Well, that. (laughs) But a common theme is going to be wrestler dies of drugs. And it's very sad. I was telling Micah this. It was brutal to hear the end of that shoot interview where Bam Bam was just like, you know, I'm looking to the second half of my career, second half of my life. Just to hear that. It was a little heartbreaking because by all accounts, seemed like a good dude, great worker, died at 45. That's pretty young. Yeah, that's that's what happens. And that's what what sucks. Like, you know, especially, but you can see it happening sometimes with people. Just in slow-mo. 
Well, and also, too, it, 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 it creeps up on you. You could be a guy that says that that's not going to happen to you. That's not going to yeah. happen to you. But, I mean, even in my own life, like, I didn't travel the miles that Bam Bam did. And I didn't do half the shit that Bam Bam did in his life. But I'll tell you what, like, I started to, I had a back injury. Kind of nagged for a while. And I self-medicated with alcohol. And then I became dependent upon it every mm-hmm. night. And needing it every night. And then, of course, when you're drinking alcohol, you're dehydrating yourself yeah, and you're not yeah. healing yourself. You're and, then, and then you're keeping the, keeping that train moving right along. And then you're not sleeping. And then you're doing this cycle for a year or two. And then sometimes the alcohol doesn't uh, work as well as it should. And if people are throwing pain pills in your face and other things in your face, you go ahead and take those. And then you just get on the get on this train and you get this kind of like pride as a pro wrestler. I'm like, ah, all the, yeah, all the famous yeah, ones yeah, died yeah, already. Yeah. Screw it. I'll do it's the, the same. Hemingway thing. It's like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to kill myself because all the great writers killed themselves. Yeah, exactly. And you can just get on this train. And, and if somebody doesn't pull you out from that, you never get out. Sorry, not Hemingway. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson, I'm a moron. <laughs> Delete what I said. Yeah, it was more like Hunter S. Thompson. It was a reverse. Yeah, it was yeah, a reverse. Yeah. Hunter S. Thompson was looking it, at Hemingway. Yeah, exactly. So. But yeah, it's, I haven't been drinking and not doing anything. But it's 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 one of those things like it, it falls into and it's a big trap and it's especially as big as he was and as mobile as he was, I can't imagine his knee joints, his yeah, shoulder he's had joints, eight surgeries with that much weight, and, and shit? then also too carrying around that weight uh, uh, just uh, on flights, car uh, rides, carrying bags. Uh, if he did survive, the only thing that probably could have helped him would have been DDP yoga yeah. and, and losing a ton of weight. Better documentary than Jake the Snakes, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better. That's so much better. I mean, Jake's was great. It happens. It's it's the trap. Yeah. And if you don't have somebody close to you pulling you out, like if you have somebody who's an enabler, you'll always be in that hole, and this is your end story, unfortunately. Yeah. Not, not anything against his girlfriend, but, you know, but more maybe associated with his friends. Yeah. You know? I'm sorry, did you bring up the fact that his girlfriend that he almost killed was the same girlfriend that was with him? Yeah, stayed with him, stayed with him the whole time. Uh, so, fuck, what a life she had uh, once once Bam Bam came into it. Uh, pretty pretty brutal, uh, very sad. Especially for a guy who, by all accounts, from everything I heard, to go through such a brutal business as professional wrestling... No, not a lot of people have anything bad to say about him. He didn't have a lot of things to say bad about anyone. I want to chime in on that. Um, the two people that had shit to uh, crap on Bam Bam about, but they both were very unreliable narrators. Doink was did not, but Doink was a huge drug addict, right? You're, you're talking about the one YouTube clip where Matt Bourne was talking about how, like, Bam Bam stooged him all. Oh yeah, my god, it's yeah. so... But then, it's but then so, the same YouTube clip, he's talking about doing coat locking yeah, stuff in his man, house. And it's so okay. fucking stupid. Like, apparently, uh, the story the story that Doink tells is that uh, he was smoking marijuana in in the hallway of a hotel. and But it, it quickly... It's like... It's it's that uh, narrative thing where it's like, and then he called Vince, and then I was... And he called Vince and narked on me, and I was quickly fired. And it's like, why am I believing you through this shit? Because apparently he was... The word is is that he was doing crack and heavy drugs that whole time. So clearly, word got to Vince somehow that you know Doink was off the hinges, and but he just put it on Bam Bam that he like Bam Bam didn't seem like a narc for weed. I mean, yeah, it was just bounty it was the worst. It was it was like I'm not believing the story from this known drug addict type thing, and it was just like I'm, I don't believe you at all. I've watched enough Forensic Files episodes <laughs> to know that you are full of shit. Could, could it not be that? Yeah. 
yeah, you were smoking weed, and yeah, Bam Bam walked by, but by the way, they were getting ready to fire you yeah, the next yeah, day yeah. anyway. Exactly. So, it was convenient because but you were paranoid, you're paranoid, and you just, the last yeah. person you saw, he must have narked on. And the other one I want to point out real quick, there's a, Lanny Pofo has a shoot interview where he shits all over Bam Bam, but the size of Lanny's eyes when he talks about it, but that he was, is, but, no, no, he is so upset because... They're trying to put the Slim Jim account on Bam Bam Bigelow, and he's so mad that they tried to put Savage's uh, Slim Jim account on Bam Bam. He's like, dude, why are you so mad about yeah. this? Was that a YouTube clip on Hannibal TV? No, it was a Cape Fabe interview. Okay, Sean Oliver, I think it is. Okay, All right. but no, no, it, it's it's one of like the two the two times where someone shit on Bam Bam. They either seemed really bitter and upset, like Pofo, because his eyes are bulging out of his head. Sean Oliver's like, dude, if I disagree with you, you're going to beat the shit out of me, aren't you? <laughs> There's fear or it's doink where you're like, dude, you're just, you're telling a story that doesn't add up and it seems like fucking bullshit, man. Yep. But I really came to kind of in a weird way love Bam Bam. I watched like seven hours of shoot interviews. God knows how many matches. I feel like I skipped too much Japan, but like, he seems like a really, really fucking good dude. Just well, I, I, another person I, I, I communicated via text message in, in preparation for this podcast was um, a good friend of mine, Ed Zahn. He was a promoter in Pennsylvania, and I just was like, random shot in the dark. I'm like, hey, did you, any good stories about Bam Bam? Because I just yep. wanted to get some background on these shooter views if what I'm hearing is bullshit. Yep. And he's just like, oh, he was a sweet man. And actually, Ed was there the day that he walked into Larry's office to sign it for the, the Monster Factory. Yeah. Mm. And he said he was a straight up dude, typical Jersey guy, he was like a little kid in a big man's world, and anything that comes out of his mouth is as close to truth, or at least his perception of the truth. Right. It's not bullshit. Yeah. He's going to tell you like it is. So a- once I heard that, I'm like, okay, everything that's coming out of his mouth is probably pretty close, or at least as he saw it in his perception, as he sees in the world. Yep. That was uh, one thing that surprised me, speaking to what you said, Jake. Is that he talked about when he was bouncing, drinking, all that after high school, and he got in a rut, and he said how once you re- you're in a rut and you realize you have to get out of a rut, and he knew, and that's when he went to Monster Factory, and he made the point about some dudes never get out of the rut, and it made it was a big deal how he like he was living that lifestyle, but he knew this is not a good lifestyle. I'm not gonna come out of this looking good, and he changed his life. Just the fact that he recognized that said a lot, I think, about who he was. Because there's a lot of people in the Midwest, the yeah. people that I grew up with, that are in that very similar rut. You, yeah. You know, not to call anybody out, but like, you can get stuck in that rut, and that's that middle America, and you start blaming yeah. and other people. Yeah. But really, the thinkers pointed at you for not chasing your dreams and deciding what you want to do. Yeah. And I would say most people in the deepest, darkest rut turn to stand-up comedy. Yeah. We're not talking about... <laughs> We're not talking about your downward spiral, okay? <laughs> We're talking about Jake's, because Jake's in stand-up comedy, too, and I'm not, so you guys are fucked. Yeah, I have two failed careers, Nicholas, okay? Like, oh, man, I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, I'm looking good now. Go? I'm looking so good on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, Pod? All right, Bam Bam, everyone who worked with him loved him. Uh, said He's one of the most underrated wrestlers of all time, which I, I agree with. He was a guy who just loved the business. He loved showing up to work. He liked... He liked to work stiff. He liked to take care of his opponents. He he, both. he, he both. just he he loved it, and I I don't know. I don't like to you. Where is he? And when you think of professional wrestling, what did Bam Bam do for pro wrestling? Do you think? Um, 
you know, we, we look at it now. I think I think somebody when I was doing research on this, people were talking like they compared him like to Keith Lee. Yeah. Um, like the, I, I keep saying that we're we're on the verge of big guys that are mobile. Right. And once that happens, all these cruiserweights are going to be Fucked. white <laughs> from the earth. As soon as they start finding three hundred pound guys that are just as agile as 185 pound guys, it's going to be a evaporation of the cruiserweights because we're going to see a lot of guys like a Keith Lee. And it's the same thing of the escalation of the NFL is guys get bigger, stronger, faster, more right. agile. They can jump higher. They run fast. All they're stronger, hit harder, fast guys, yeah. you know, and, and that's that, that evolution. And he was the proto proto version of that. He was the, the prototype of that. Nobody, was doing that some of the things that he was doing at the time for that size and that ability and that agility and just the, the ability to bump and yeah, I, I forgot how good and high his drop kick really was. I mean, it's not there. like that. It's not like that guy drop kick. It, it, as I forget, it might have been corny. It was like a guy who just got off the ground and moved his legs to the side. He got up and he extended his shit um, horizontally and he did it. Mm-hmm. It was a gorgeous thing. And if and when you talk about like where he, when I hear his name, what do I think of? Uh, a guy that if I wrestled him on a Northeast wrestling show <laughs> would give me minimal guff. Would we, we might have one spot and he might forget a spot and I would remind him in the middle of the ring and then he would thank me profusely afterwards for it and say you're and tell me I'm a good worker and tell me I'm a good worker to the promoter. Like I could see him going to all ends of the world to let people know that I was a good wrestler. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the type of guy that I picture him. I to totally be. believe it too. Cause that's the total impression I got from all the shit I've soaked in over the past yeah. five days. That he yeah. would be that type of guy that would give you minimal guff, be easy to put the match together. And he'd be like, brother, we don't gotta do nothing. I'll do my thing. And he would just, <laughs> and if someone wronged you, he'd step up for you and yeah, say the right thing. And every time I'd see him after that, he'd be like, Hey, remember that one match I did for you? <laughs> With Lombardi, that was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, this is a kid's a good worker, you know. Like, it's like that thing. Uh, there's a uh, Lance Storm talked about how uh, he found out. I think he was uh, his wife was having a baby in Japan, and he was one of the first people to congratulate. Uh, Bam Bam was one of the first people to congratulate Lance out of like twenty some guys that were over there in the same crowd. And Lance was like, "Oh, that really stuck with him." Just like. To come out and do that and to be that type of guy. Especially the story about Jericho and the fact that uh, yeah. in, in, in a three-way match with Conan, Jericho, and Bam Bam. And Bam Bam's like, how about we put over Jericho? Yeah, because they were all like, we'll put over Bammer. But now, fuck that. Let's put over the new kid, Jericho. Because he realized it was a big event and here's an opportunity yeah. to make a star. Yeah. Maybe maybe this is going to give a kid a push because every kid needs a push. Which, coming from a guy that got it so easily, so fast... For him to recognize how hard it is that these guys are grinding along, that every little bit matters. of a push yeah. matters, yeah. and that's what you know—that you—that's what you hope for in somebody of his stature. Hell yeah! Do we want to? I got a couple of things I'd like to say. Yeah, you want to? Uh, let's just do final thoughts, random thoughts. Um, I would like to say, uh, Bam Bam and Hogan did a really cool spot in uh, tag match between Hogan or Hogan and Bam Bam versus Andre and DiBiase. It was right after DiBiase stole the belt. They did a turnbuckle spot where uh, Hogan pointed at Bam Bam's head and he put his head on the turnbuckle and he slammed Bam Bam. Uh, he slammed DiBiase's head into Bam Bam's head and Bam Bam did a. <laughs> but uh, he, he uh, DiBiase sold it like he had the turnbuckle. All right, that was dumb. Um, the first he won the the slammy for the 1987 best head. I don't know what that meant exactly. 
But uh, oral so oral sex jokes aside, was, we're gonna was get around. Patterson that. handing out the award. <laughs> uh, shit, I should have made that joke. I think the best match that I saw in all my research was his Barry Windham match at Starcade '88. It was the hottest crowd. It the, they were so ready. Wyndham sold his ass off. Bam Bam looked like a million fucking dollars. It was like 15-minute match. And the ending's kind of shit, but uh, Wyndham versus Bam Bam at Starcade is very much worth looking up. And then uh, Snake Eater 3, his law, uh, Lorenzo Lamas, when he thought he was an action star that could do movies, because we all know he's the renegade. Bam Bam, spoiler alert, dies by getting hammered and then going into the bathroom and then pissing because Lorenzo Lamas has worked up this MacGyver-esque electricity spot that feeds into the toilet and when Bammer pisses it electrocutes him electrocutes his dick and he falls down and dies so that was good but before that they go out uh they, they fight and they're talking in the bar and let's take this outside <laughs> and they actually go outside in the only time ever in history of man where they say let's take it outside and, and they, they actually really do take it. it outside and bam bam He's outside like he's just waiting for the fight all casual. He's not even gross. like, oh, yeah, this is happening, right? That is cool. And, and then Bam Bam's let me take a piss. Yeah. So the fact that he dies from from it, yep. taking a piss. Oh, my just God. I didn't believe, even think about that. Because the lead you believe how hydrated Bam Bam Bigelow was. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Bam, there was there was motifs, and I didn't even realize it. Yeah. All right. And then the last thing I would like to close on is Bam Bam talking about Lance Storm. He says, if anyone ever has a bad thing to say about Lance Storm, they're an asshole. <laughs> All right, Jake Manning. Last thoughts on Bam Bam? Uh, you know, I, I think kind of said it with how it would be like to work Bam Bam. Uh, yeah. I, although, and I think about like, like not just me, but like it be it would have been interesting to see like Bam Bam knowing how he is. He'd like to put some guys over. Like I would have loved to have seen a 2008-2009 match with Bam Bam Bigelow and a young Sammy Callahan <laughs> would be really interesting to see. <laughs> like, how crazy that would be yeah, considering those nutty. combustible individuals. Uh-huh. You know, there's a bunch of people I'd, I'd like to see have a really great match with Bam Bam like that. But, yeah, Sammy Callahan and a Bam Bam Bigelow match, I don't know why. It's like that all time that, sta- that That is now going to be, like, when people say all-time dream matches any era, I Bam Bam Bigelow. Foley, I thought Foley and him would be... Foley and him would be good. Yeah. Shawn Michaels would have been yeah. good. But as far as indie guys that he could have really made, like, yeah. I think Bam Bam and Sammy Callahan would have been a lot of fun to watch. So And um, just an awesome dude, man. Just, you know... I was kind of like dreading this and the fact that like oh gosh I'm gonna have to do so much research because yeah. I like to investigate all angles of things <laughs> like, like I'd be a terrible reporter because I want to get all sides of everything yeah. um, I don't and shit. I want to take my time and make sure I get the story right and I'm kind of glad I did kind of glad Me I too. took the time to do more research about a guy that's probably forgotten about. Bam Bam just seemed like a genuine good dude he was loved by his peers which is you know always I think uh, the highest compliment. Well, he's a great worker. I don't know, man. Sucks he died so young. Love Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, wrap it up. I'd assume by the time this is out, we'll have a uh, Tim Bill Pod Facebook. Please uh, go like it. Uh, <laughs> Probably an Instagram for us to put those interesting pictures that I was talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, so. we will have... And uh, the, the Snake Eater full movie is on YouTube, so maybe <laughs> you post Snake Eater so you can watch and, all and the... And there's, like, boobies in it? Like, but you don't see... Oh, there's, there's boobies. There's boobies. Yeah, there's boobies I mean, yeah, Lorenzo Lamas has, has his fuck scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's right there on YouTube, so... <laughs> Go for it. Oh, yeah, it's true. YouTube with boobies. That's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen. But it, it happens. 
I mean, I just I just did an episode of How Did This Get Booked, and they were straight up titties on YouTube. So find us at Tindell Pod. Find Micah on Twitter at jtrotter27. Uh, come see me at Visart Video every Friday all day in Charlotte, North Carolina. Jake Manning. Find uh, find him on everything at Manscout Manning. Yeah, right. You type it in. Uh, Manscout, one word, two words. It's supposed to be two <laughs> words, but apparently uh, the better Google se- the, the better Google search results come out with Manscout as one word, which is grammatically incorrect. So block me on social media at Nick Olesa. It's really Nicholas A, but no one gets that. N I C K O H L E S S A. Bam! Bam! <laughs>